friends, and welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz. And as always, we are here to brighten your days, anger your souls, and tell you how to live your lives. And Andy, before we started recording, you were complaining about hockey. (laughs) And I was... Here's the thing. I'm normally pretending, or I'm not pretending to be interested. I'm pretending to pretend to be interested. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in this case, it sounds like there's actually a little bit of drama going on. So please... Tell me and our listeners, for the sake of our douchebag buffer, what the fuck is happening with hockey right now? Well, hockey is back in the time of corona. You know, it it took a good, like, two or three month hiatus. And then the powers that be decided, okay, no, we still need to finish this off. Uh, You know, basketball is doing the exact same thing where there are hub cities where all the players are coming. For hockey, in this case, it's the playoffs. So everybody is in Toronto or Edmonton. Uh, basically, all the players isolated, got locked in a hotel room, and were given free reign of the place and told, okay, you can't see your families, but you can do whatever you want. You can have as many ping pong tournaments as you want in the hotel, and then we're going to send you to the rink, and you're going to play hockey, damn it, in an empty arena with fan reactions that we taped. And... I mean, listen, we've we've had a couple of different hates about Corona now. It's just the fucking life at this point. Um, I think there's an argument to be had about whether or not pro sports should even be happening during a infectious pandemic. But, you know, we're also reopening schools, so. Mm. Meh. I mean, intriguingly, wrestling's been going on for a hot minute. Wrestling has. I feel like that might be the easiest to facilitate just because the amount of people necessary is so much shorter. But yeah, you know, it's funny. Hockey's back and like Corona took me out of it so much where I'm, I'm paying attention, but I'm hardly not as invested as I was a year ago when I talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning on this very show. Uh, But I am going to cover my bases and very specifically not talk about a team that I hope could win. So So you're not talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning because you just mentioned them, right? I'm not talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's right. There's there's another trying to remember other teams. I know there's (laughs) I know Detroit Red Wings are a thing. Did not make the playoffs. Um, I know that Anaheim no longer has ducks. They are still the Ducks, but they're no longer mighty. That's fucking stupid, Andy. Yes, yes, it is. That's very. If you're you were you, it's the Disney City, and they were named after a Disney movie franchise. They should. Uh, Their logo is a D that looks like a duck footprint. Hold on, I'm I'm going to text you. A picture of the Anaheim Ducks logo. Why is what? Tell me that this isn't more interesting than that. That's stupid as fuck. (laughs) Okay, you and I recently um, decided it would be fun to go through Disney Plus and like check out a couple of things. Uh, We did. And we like texted each other about it and... You you and I both watched like the first episode of the Mighty Ducks TV show. The and I specifically mean the animated superhero cartoon show. The Jim Belushi guest starring 
Mighty Ducks cartoon. Which just, it was bad, right? It's bad. It's it's really bad, but like it's bad in that fun 90s cartoon way. It, it gets a shit ton of nostalgia points. But like part of the plot of that is that the mask that is in the logo, the old logo for the Mighty Ducks is like a major like important like what's the word mulligan not mulligan um oh 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 god um flanagan um no shit yeah like the gold the briefcase in cult fiction yeah in pulp cult fiction pulp fiction is this cult um, fiction is something else yeah the like I don't even remember the term, but like that thing in a movie where it's not really actually important. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a mystical little object that's supposed to be really important and it symbolizes leadership for the superhero team. And it's a stupid show. You guys, like yeah. it is a deeply stupid show that I had a concerning number of action figures for. Oh, but they were so cool. But like we watched that and that, that and the Mighty Ducks movies had like more to do with my knowledge of hockey sure. than that. Those two and Rocket Power. Yeah, those. That's all the. That's everything I know about hockey. And you're telling me that they don't even. They're not even called the Mighty Ducks anymore. They haven't been the Mighty Ducks for some time, and they never did the flying V. I'm sorry to say. Everyone, <laughs> life. Existence, this random assortment of atoms which color our universe with this odd phenomenon known as consciousness, as life, as everything that is the groundwork for what we know of as love, joy, happiness, and sorrow is fucking bullshit because there's not an actual Mighty Ducks anymore. I am offended. There's no flying V? Next, you're going to tell me that they don't do the, that there's no knuckle puck. There is actually knuckle puck. Okay, so at least, at least Keenan Thompson is still throwing the knuckle puck around on the ice every, every, every Saturday night, right? Sure, buddy. Yeah, that's, that's what's happening backstage at Saturday Night Live. I got to tell you, like two years ago, Keenan Thompson hosted the NHL, like, end of year awards. And I didn't put it together why the fuck he was there until just now. Oh, honey. <laughs> oh, at least it wasn't Jesse Smollett, but. That's true. I mean, it was the NHL awards. To be fair, they were right in Jesse Smollett's price range. <laughs> uh... Uh, welcome to Love Hate Relationship. Thank you for uh, indulging us with a brief uh, aside about hockey and COVID and all the things. You mean enduring it? <laughs> Yeah, enduring it. What are you going to do? Uh, every episode, one of us talks about something we love. The other one talks about something we hate. And then we take yours or the Internet's uh, relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. That's right. And Andy, it is your turn for the love this time. It is my turn. And I, uh, I have something that's going to make uh, one of the friends of the show very happy. Uh, David, I'm sure you read the title. And I'm sure all of you actually read the title. You know I'm talking about Redwall. And I've mentioned Redwall on the show before, but for anybody who uh, doesn't remember or skipped that episode, I would like to talk about why I love the fantasy book series called Redwall. Okay. Uh, here's everything I know about Redwall. 
Uh, and I guarantee you, this isn't really a primer for the audience. This is just to give an idea of where I am. Andy will give a much better primer. I know this is a fantasy book series. I know that it's all, like, medieval-y. Um, but I also know that all of the characters are anthropomorphic animals. There's a mouse who features very prominently on the front cover of the first book, and I assume that that was, like, the character. I think there's there's time travel shenanigans in it, right? Not exactly. Um, so, you know, you, that, that's actually a pretty good primer for anybody who's unfamiliar. Um, just as an overview, Redwall the series was a, uh, a 22 books, 22 children's fantasy books written by English author Brian Jakes between 1989 and his death in 2011. Uh, you know, Redwall chronicles the adventures of various generations of woodland creatures, almost all based around the abbey from which the book series gets its name. So really, think of, like, The Wind of the Willows meets Lord of the Rings. Okay. You're right about them being anthropomorphized, but one of my favorite things is they're not that anthropomorphized. Like, these aren't... This isn't like Mighty Ducks, where it's a bunch of human duck creatures, human duck creatures running around. This is straight With boobs up, and stuff. Yeah. Oh God! Between that and Howard the Duck, there were a lot of duck boobs in the nineties. Mm. Mm. Howard the Duck was the eighties, but go uh, on. That's true. Uh, no, the creatures in Redwall are are basically woodland critters you might find in the English countryside: mice, badgers, hares, whatever. Only they do walk on uh, hind legs, they wear clothes, they engage in combat and torture and prayer and stuff like that. Torture? Uh, there's there's a fair bit of torture in the books. Andy, not, not to cut you off, but you also brought up Animorphs previously, <laughs> which has a couple of torture scenes over the course of the book series. <laughs> like, and actually dives into the after effects of torture and PTSD from torture. Yeah. What is it about you and children's books with torture in them, Andrew? What is it with you and children's books that don't have torture in them? Hmm. A lot of my children's books have torture in them. So. <laughs> I guess it just makes for good literature. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy you brought up Animorphs, though, because like as, as a point aside, this series for me at least, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, was such a great, like, stepping stone between your Animorphs, your Bailey School Kids, your shorter episodic chapter books that, you know, came no fewer than 40 apiece. Mm -hmm. it, was, it, it was a great bridge between those books and the actual, you know, Lord of the Rings or the Forgotten Realms and uh, adult fantasy. Fuck the king's guard. Fuck the city. Fuck the king. Fuck the king. Fuck Joffrey. Fuck the queen. Mm -hmm. These books were usually around like 300 pages okay. a piece. Um, and they, they were all absolutely delightful adventures. You mentioned time travel shenanigans, and it's not time travel. The thing of it is, is... Brian Jakes created his own world, his own universe, and never locked the books behind a certain singular character. Hmm. Um, the, the mouse you were talking about on the cover of Redwall, the book, 
is Matthias the Mouse, and he is the main character of that book. He appears in two or three others. But something that I just truly loved, and it felt so mature and so adult and so important, is that truly, like, these books span generations upon generations of time, and they weren't written in chronological order. So it was always a, like a treat for me as a kid to pick up a new one. Cause I, I got to the point where I was getting like two or three of these for Christmas or my birthday every mm-hmm. year. And it would always be like, okay, we're starting a new thing. Let's see if I can recognize a particular character name. Let's see if somebody who was a toddler in the last book is now like the, the ancient wizened town elder in this other one. Interesting. You could make a through line um without too much difficulty but also it you you had to make the through line yourself and i absolutely adored that Hmm. i hear that and that because this is my experience and i and i know i've talked about loving these on the show before that makes me think of the oz books sure wizard of oz books sure which you know ostensibly you start with the wizard of oz which is, you know, that's the book, that's the movie, everyone knows the movie, and then there's like 30 books after that. Yeah. And a number of those books kind of start with this thing where it's like, oh, um, it is it, it is Ozma, and Ozma is telling the story of her father in the past here, and that is a prequel book. It technically takes place in the larger continuity, but it is a character telling the story of an older character. But then there's also just the newer adventures of these characters. It's it's exactly like that. You know, the first book in 1989 was Redwall that focused on Matthias. The the direct sequel to that book was called Matamio or Matamio, depending on how you pronounce it. And that was about Matthias's young son. So Matthias carried over from that book. Uh, and, you know, as it goes on and on, like you hear reference of Matthias occasionally and eventually Brian Jake started putting in the prequels because there is one figure who is the main predominant figure throughout the Redwall mythology. And that is this mouse named Martin the Warrior, who was this like, honestly, kind of like a mixture between King Arthur and Jesus Christ. Look, some kids grew up on Chronicles of Narnia, and if you've got Aslan in every fucking book... That's a very fair point, yeah. Mm. Martin the Warrior shows up in almost every book, if not all of them. Pretty much in in a couple, in three or four of them, he's an actual character, and in the rest, he is this, like, guiding spirit. And his sword is this little mouse version of Excalibur that heroes will occasionally uncover and then, and then go off and fight evil and slay... On their own. And I really want to put uh, an image in people's heads like these were mice and badgers and all of that. It was never really clearly defined if they were human sized living in a giant castle or if they were animal sized relatively. (laughs) The only thing I can say is like a badger is only slightly bigger than a mouse when mm-hmm. you know in actuality there's a huge size discrepancy so okay so, so who's to say on that but you know these these were woodland critters that ran around having like making war with each other they're usually um the villainous figures in these books would be different types of vermin rats ferrets voles 
your occasional bobcat or wolverine or or reptile or whatever but you know basically just running around with trebuchets and battle axes and and killing each other there's mm-hmm. plenty of death in these books okay so what age were you when you started reading these i had to have started i read the very first one in fourth grade and that was like a a holy crap like this is this is not this is not next to the hobbit but this is like adjacent to the hobbit in terms of scope and depth um and you know it took me probably a couple of years to get into the series but by seventh grade i was hunting these down in my school library and like you know knocking off a checklist and and probably reading like one a month mm-hmm. um so very very much a treat for me i love that so you talk about these being like a gateway to deeper fantasy yeah um what is it about them though like clearly if the the themes seem to carry into deeper subjects but it's still kind of kid friendly very much some degree so like is that what's bridging it is it yeah because like so you know there's 22 of the books um i stopped reading before like the last three or four actually came out so, you know, let's say a series of 18 books um, and they were all they're all different, of course, but they were all fairly they were all fairly um, standard within themselves. There is a hero figure that hero figure often goes on some sort of great quest. There is a primary antagonist making an army or trying to invade um and, and beyond that, like, it was all handled very kid-friendly. Like, like one of the things that Jake's became known for in his style is the guy could describe a buffet or a feast or a banquet in, like, sweet, saccharine, excruciating detail. He took probably more time talking about how good all of the pies and pasties and cookies that the badgers are eating on badger Christmas than he would take in talking about how, okay, this rat was abandoned as a kid and it became super sadistic. And now it likes to torture people with a knife though. He would still talk about the rat who likes to torture people with a knife. Sounds kind of George R. R. Martin. I mean a bit, but, but, but that's the thing, you know, like George R. R. Martin, game of Thrones. Those are incredibly expansive books and, and certainly, uh, you know, they're all very detailed, but like, you know, those are dark. Those are heavy. You're not giving those to a fifth grader or even um, like I, I mentioned the Forgotten Realm series, which uh, probably a lot of fantasy fans are familiar with the character of Driz Duerden. Um, Those are touchstone fantasy books for some people those are those uh, talking about like like Dragonlance or the wheel of time which is another book i know you like uh, another book series i know you like david um those are all teenager to adult books and mm. redwall was very clearly kids books but it primed you for the kind of fantasy adventure that you would find later on in life mm. 
And I, I think it's lovely. I think it's great. I, I appreciated that, you know, basically these books are all this guy did. Brian Jakes wrote, I believe, only one book that wasn't in the Redwall series. And that was this like high seas adventure book. But everything else was just, no, I'm going to tell stories about these mice who uh, are nice to each other and then go kill a bunch of rats. And I'm going to highlight themes of overcoming adversity and, and friendship and the power of heart and togetherness and, and goodness and kindliness and that's just what I'm going to do and make my bread and butter. And he absolutely did. Strike for me, shrew warriors. Strike for Redwall. Can I psychoanalyze you for a second? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, it's interesting because I'm sitting here thinking about the last like few episodes we've done and a lot of what you've talked about. And like it was it wasn't that long ago you did an episode talking about Power Rangers. Sure. Uh, we've already mentioned that you brought up Animorphs not too long ago. Um, I'm of two minds here where I'm sitting here thinking, okay, why is Andy bringing up, A, so many <laughs> of like his fond childhood media? Mm. Um, we talked about The Hobbit before as well. Um, and B, what does it say that when discussing all of this childhood media, media ostensibly intended for at most maybe a young adult audience at its oldest um really more likely target audience is younger but there's so much fucking dark shit in all of it yeah um, is that just you and your taste as a child or is that a function of just media and books and art and entertainment for those ages is that something you need to tell a compelling story in there i don't know i think there's an argument for that certainly and and i think you know young adult is the key word there um because i i i do wonder if there is like some sort of concrete thematic thing where like you reach an age you reach 10 or 11 or 12 where you're very you're very much in yourself going, I'm not a little kid anymore because, mm -hmm. you know, you're a 10-year-old and you don't know any better. Um, and you want to see something that scares you or frightens you. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, The Black Cauldron, which was a Disney film that is utterly terrifying in some respects. And I probably saw it the first time when I was seven or eight. Um, I remember... The very first time I read a Harry Potter book, I didn't know anything about it. So I went straight to Prisoner of Azkaban mm. and uh, was reading it with my mom. And we got to the soul-sucking Dementor. And my mom was like, mm, we're not going to read this book anymore. You can read this in a couple of years. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I think we like to be scared. I mean... I, I know from conversations with you, how old were you when you were watching all the Freddy and Jason movies? Oh God, I was less than 10. Yeah. yeah. So that was cause I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be entirely honest. Um, I love you, mom. I know you're listening. Um, my parents didn't monitor what I watched that much. Sure. Yeah, I, I, and you know what? That's, that's not really their fault. They were, you know, my parents were both working full-time jobs. Um, and I had a TV in my room and access to shit and they were you know indulgent enough that when i wanted to 
I didn't really ask their permission and they weren't like, they were too busy making sure I was fed. Sure. <laughs> to worry about like, oh, is he watching the movie where a dude chops people up with a machete? They weren't worrying about that. It was on FX. I was inside all summer. It didn't matter. Um, they let me rent the movies I wanted. It was it was always kind of, a, you know, I brought home good grades. I ate. Sure. I didn't get in trouble. They didn't, they weren't worrying about it. But yeah, so I was under 10 when I was watching all of those. But here's the funny thing. Most of those things did not fuck me up that much. At least sure. not in like, I, did, I didn't have nightmares. I didn't like, I wasn't like terror. Like my sister is terrified of Chucky mm. because Chucky just does something to her, which like, okay, cool. I, I understand that. Um, those horror movies never really messed with me that much. When I think back to my children's... And, and, and admittedly, you mentioned wanting to be scared by stuff. When I was a kid, um, I had these conversations with David when we were like 10, 11, 12 years old about these movies, about certain music. You know, David was the first person to hand me a tape that had like Black Sabbath and Metallica and Rob Zombie on it. Nice, David. Good on you. <laughs> and that's, that's honestly just shit his mom listened to and introduced him to. But like I listened to it and it was I'm sitting here going like, yeah, no, this is fucking cool. This is fucking cool because it's basically the music version of the horror movies I like. And isn't it cool that this is a thing that like freaks the normies out because i was a shitty 12 year old who thought about crap like that sure but it's something about that exposure to darkness that's really attractive when you're a kid because it's like it's the naughty thing it's the thing you're not supposed to look at it's the thing people tell you you're not ready for right and and even then like i i, I agree and i think that there's i think most kids try to seek this out or I mean, gosh, I'm completely out of touch with the iPhone generation. I don't know if it's still the same, but certainly people in our generation. And, you know, my parents did monitor my, monitor my media. My mom took away Prisoner of Azkaban because she thought the, you know, demonic wraith figure was too much for me. But then not that much later handed me a, a Redwall book called Rackety Tam in which a squirrel beheads a wolverine with a sharpened shield. <laughs> But there was <laughs> there was this cool squirrel on the cover holding a sword, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> there's a there's a book in which like these demonic foxes try to do ritualistic sacrifice. Like like Redwall had some shit to it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, I mean that's your mom couldn't. I've met people who said like, oh yeah, my parents read every book I read before I read it because they needed to make sure it was okay, or they made my sibling read it or watch it, like right. make sure they screened it before I did. And I don't know, I mean, my parents did that. And if anything, like I, I, I treat the fact that they did that as a big reason why I love so many movies and so much music because sure. I was given kind of this really uncut exposure to it from very early on. Um, also maintain the big reason why I can't stand like children's songs, hmm. like children's music, like wheels on the bus pisses me off. And I've always sat here and been like, and not just from a like, 
oh my god, it's an annoying song. It's from a now. This is kids are smarter than this. Okay. Like I I I, I can give I can give you a CD of Paul McCartney written Beatles songs right now that are as complex as those songs and are way better to listen to. So are you advocating for kids bop? <laughs> Suck my asshole, Andrew. <laughs> Kids Bop is an abomination. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But here's my number, so call me maybe. No, kids can handle. You know what? At the end of the day, this is this is the note that I want to close out on before you close out your point. Sure. I think kids are a lot better at handling this shit than anyone gives them credit for. I think kids are capable of comprehending darknesses that no that people just don't want to expose them to for the sake that they are kids. There are legitimately things that certain kids should not consume. I have heard people talk about how like watching this particular movie that like was approved for me fucked me up or watching this. Sure. You yourself have told me you don't do well with like demon possession movies. Not super great, no. Yeah. You're a big horror movie fan, but you don't do well with that particular genre. I don't do well with graphic sexual assaults. Mm. That's my thing. Like, if that's in a movie, I have to look away. And, sure. and there, are, there are horror movies, and I will stipulate horror movies, I have seen use it to great story effect. And actually not be shitty about, like, the dynamics about it. Treat it carefully, but use it to be horrifying, which is, I think, the one arena where it's not awful. Um, it can be awful if it's done poorly, but it's not necessarily awful. Um, Wes Craven has done some good work, did some good work with that in some of his movies. But those are the scenes that fuck me up. So yes, there are things you shouldn't expose to your particular kid because that fucks up your particular kid. That does not mean that your kid can't necessarily handle X Harry Potter book, Y Redwall book, Z... Wizard of Oz book. Sure. Which has some weird dismemberment shit in it in some spots. It's treated with a weird kind of like glee and casualness. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So all is to say, let your kids watch it. Get to know your fucking kids and let them watch and read some shit and like go from there. You need Rex, let me know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a great point. I'm, I'm reminded of a Patton Oswalt joke where he showed his young daughter a werewolf movie um, and was absolutely terrified about her reaction. And she laughed about the funny puppy man. And then later he showed her like a baby Einstein-esque educational video about the human body. And she had nightmares about her skeleton coming out of her body. <laughs> so above all else, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. <laughs> Uh, that just shows you don't know. You have to get to know your kid because you don't know what's going to fuck them up. If you hide them from everything, everything's going to fuck them up. Yeah. So my, my closing point is, you know, I just, I, you, you touched on something that I thought you were going to dig into a little bit more. I keep pulling all of this nostalgic media from my childhood and maybe, maybe it is nostalgia goggles. Maybe it's easy to remember like how much I loved something as a little kid. Especially cause your hate topics keep being COVID related. <laughs> Especially cause all my hate topics are modern. I am like 
getting closer to 30 so um but no just i i think the redwall books are just as entertaining and engaging for a fantasy fan who has never read them or never heard of them it doesn't matter if it, it doesn't matter how old you are i think they're a good read and if you happen to be an adult and you have a kid who is into books or maybe not into books but liked to sneak out and watch game of thrones uh maybe this is a book series that you can hand to them i think it's phenomenally well done um and there's certainly no lack of material to pull from so you know i I like giving people recommendations i recommend the hell out of the redwall series all right i'm fucking here for it yeah you okay to move on let's go for it okay um speaking of subjects that are possibly inappropriate for small children um (laughs) My hate topic uh, actually came uh, via suggestion. Uh, We took a suggestion from David not that long ago. Um, This suggestion comes from a frequent listener to the show and friend of the show, Katie, who I discovered recently listens to our show while she's preparing Saturday breakfast with her little son. Oh, Katie, we adore you. Yes, this show is highly inappropriate for him. But he's also like just recently won. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he's doesn't know what it means when I say fuck fuckity fuck fuck fuck. So I guarantee you he just giggled. Yeah, no. I love you, Aiden. Um but this came through from Katie, uh, and she actually sent me a number of points. So uh, I wanna give Katie all credit for, you know, the major points uh that I'm going to discuss on this, because she sent me a plethora, because this is something that matters a lot to her. Um, for context, uh, my topic is going to be gun culture, uh, which is something that Katie grew up around. I'm, I'm not going to get into all of her biographical details. It's something she grew up around. She also happens to be a mental health professional, so she is approaching a lot of this topic and a lot of what she sent me from that angle. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'm going to end up getting into. As ever, I like to start with a simple question. Um, and Andy... I want to ask you, what personal experience, real or imaginary, have you had with firearms? So, I really didn't grow up around that much gun culture. Uh, my experience with firearms is that I'm a, I'm a Boy Scout, or I was a Boy Scout. And one you made of the, it to Eagle, didn't you? I, yes, I am an Eagle Scout. And oh, that is, shit. That is a thing that doesn't go away. I have a little card in my wallet and everything. Do you still have the little shorts? somewhere Mm. i wish they fit Mm. anyway um, (laughs) one of the things you would do on boy scout camp is eventually you would go to you know summer camp and if your boy scout experience was anything like me you would shoot a 22 rifle and uh, a shotgun until you couldn't anymore there was actually a requirement for the shotgun merit badge in that you had to take 50 shots and make like I want to say 30 of them. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get the fucking shotgun merit badge. That that would hurt for an adult. I remember a friend of mine having his like shoulder braced by one of the instructors so that he could get it. But at the same time, you're asking a 13-year-old to fire a shotgun like 50 times. In, some, something like that. Some Too many times for a 13-year-old to be firing a shotgun. Mm. Uh, I, I had some experience with the scouts. And then really, I didn't have much of any until... Um, Certain family members uh, decided to purchase home defense AR-15s. 
you know. Oh, so I, I have very little experience um, compared to most people, I feel like. Okay. I, you know what? I'm not so sure it's compared to most people, but I do appreciate you being honest about it. I like that your experience is not nothing. Um, can I ask you what your personal politics are on guns? Just because I don't think it's something we ever talked about, really. You no, know, it really isn't. I This isn't even in our notes, folks. I'm yeah. going off the cuff. I, I understand the Second Amendment. I am one of those kinds of people who will point out that when the Second Amendment was written, the height of ballistic gun technology was a musket. Um, I don't believe that you should be able to own anything that can fire at a faster rate than a handgun. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, if you want to own a handgun and you want to keep it somewhere and the ammo in a completely separate part of your house, go for it. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. That's a pretty, like, that's a pretty standard liberal response. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's a very mainstream response. I appreciate that. So for context, before we get into this discussion, um, I've, I've alluded a little bit to my personal opinions on guns on this show before. Um, but to be upfront, personally, me, just me, just myself, I like guns. I've gone shooting recreationally. I'm a big proponent of uh, personal firearm ownership, or at the very least, training with it. Um, my personal politics largely come from the Black Panthers. Mm. It's from Huey Newton. It's from Bobby Seale. It's from Asada Shakur. It's from people who argued that um, communities need to have people in them who are capable of defending themselves. There's a frequent argument among a lot of, I'm going to be frank, liberals who don't know what the fuck they're talking about saying, oh, well, you know, if the government comes with tanks, your little pistol isn't going to do anything. So why have the pistol? I'm not worried really about tanks in the streets, at least not until fairly recently. Yeah, right. I'm worried about I'm I'm worried about cops. I'm worried about mobs. I'm worried about concerned community members. I'm worried about people you can take down with one gun. Um, and that's that's a lot of what you know. If you and if anyone has any questions about that, like I'm happy to send you reading material on the Black Panthers on their philosophies regarding firearm ownership, but that's where a lot of my philosophy comes from. Uh, They're centered around just protecting yourselves as a community from mobs and police. And I'm frankly very against middle-class moderate liberals who've never held a gun and don't know the difference between Stokely Carmichael and Kwame Ture uh, telling me or anyone else how stupid or useless guns are. All of that said, I think that gun fetishization and the culture that's sprung up around it is a goddamn fucking catastrophe. Do you feel like that's nuanced enough, Andy? I think that's incredibly nuanced. Okay. Good on you. I'm trying. I'm tr- I know this is a hot button topic for a lot of people, and it's and 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 I feel like I, I flatter myself to think that my views are somewhat outside of the mainstream. Maybe not if you're on left Twitter, mm. but like I do flatter myself that I, I have a perspective that you're not going to see on MSNBC or on Fox News. Um, and you're certainly not going to see it on CNN. But, um, you know, basic things I want to hit. You mentioned that you th- worry that your firearm experience is less than most people. 
Here's the thing, the overall number of gun owners in this country has been going down over the last century. Hmm. The number of firearm owners. But the number of actual guns has gone up. There is, a, there is more than one gun for every individual in this country. But the number of individual owners has consistently gone down. That's stockpiling. Sure. That is, that is where you're looking at people who have no business owning an AR-15. Along with a hand, couple of Berettas, um, probably at least one Saturday night special, if not a couple. Um, just stockpiling weaponry. Real quick, are you familiar with internet personality Jake Paul? I know the name. He's one of the Paul brothers. I never know which one is the shittier one, but I do know they're both shitty. Oh, they're both utter garbage human beings. Jake and Logan Paul are a couple of people who got famous on YouTube. A lot of people remember Logan Paul for making a video in which he was walking through a forest in Japan and made fun of a hanging man. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jake Paul is his younger brother who uh, recently had his mansion raided by the FBI <laughs> where they found just a fuck ton of guns. And it's like, fucking why? Why, y'all? Like, there's, there's a wonder... Okay, I don't defend Michael Moore as a rule. Um... <laughs> Just as a personal rule. But I remember bowling for Columbine. And sure. I distinctly remember him interviewing Charlton Heston. And like the first question he asks is like, do you have guns in your house and are they loaded? And he's like, yes, I have guns in my house. And Michael Moore's like, why? And Charlton Heston says, because that's my right. It is my right to have as many guns in this house as I want to. And to keep them loaded and at the ready and something something along those lines. Um, and I remember just thinking like, that's that's a stupid answer. Like, I understand where you're coming from, and I do believe, you know, the idea of civil liberties. But that is a stupid answer to that question, Charlton Heston, and you fell right into a very dumb Michael Moore trap. Because, you know, Michael Moore is a documentary filmmaker with an angle, and he will edit and interview to get that angle. Um, but, but yeah, like, I... Fucking, why would you have that many? I'm so instantly reminded of uh, our last suggested topic that you talked about which mm -hmm. was you know david discussing um personal freedom people. yeah personal freedoms it's certainly a personal freedom to bear arms and as many as you want but you know we we made a point in that discussion to talk about how like there's a difference between yes it is your right and you are allowed to do this and you should take a couple of extra seconds and actually think through the action and the justification behind it. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that there was um, that situation where there was a march on a mayor's house that went through a private neighborhood. Oh, and there were a couple of personal injury lawyers who came out with, with guns, um, quote, to defend their property. Uh, by the way, anyone out there who says that those protesters were trespassing... Um, they absolutely were not. Uh, a private neighborhood is not, uh, or a neighborhood with a gate is not private property. Uh, it is public property with a gate on it at the front. At the front there, entering it is not a crime. They did not step on anywhere near on the actual property line of those people. Shut the fuck up. Um, and because I got into a fight with family members on Facebook, I'm going to point out. Uh, 
there is video proof on the internet of people entering the private property before the gate is damaged and the uh, particular individuals, Mark and Patricia McCloskey, were on their lawn waving guns at people. Mm. Yep, they weren't even in the neighborhood. So, um, funny thing about the couple, uh, it's funny because I, I, I'm I friends with a number of people who, are, who, have, who have some modicum of training in firearms, either for personal defense or their former military or what have you. Um, they had horrible gun etiquette. Yeah, they did. These motherfuckers had horrible gun etiquette. And I'm sitting here like, okay, you know what? Like, if you're stockpiling arms, I like to hope that you practice with them and you're well-trained with them and you know what proper protocol is. But I don't necessarily believe that's going to be the case every time. Gun culture, I think, comes from this stockpiling mentality and this idea of your guns becoming an identity for you. Sure. You know, I you know, I've talked to, I've I've talked about my struggles with guitar ownership in the past. <laughs> uh, and if anyone out there is on like guitar YouTube, like the guitar internet community, it is a running joke like what's your favorite guitar? The next one. Like people just collecting instruments. Like that is a thing. And it's an identity for some people. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think your identity should be being the guitar guy. Um, that's an identity you try on for two weeks in high school and then you abandon it. Um, or you should. But when when it's a guitar, unless you're like fucking El Cabong, you are not going to be hurting anyone with that. Why are you laughing? That's so a fucking amazing reference out of nowhere. Look, listen. I didn't have many friends growing up. Olay! Stick him up, stagecoach. Come on! I watched a lot of horror movies and cartoons. <laughs> um, but when guns... <laughs> when guns become your identity, the way that they do for a lot of gun groups it really does create this toxic environment. And and something I need to point out is that, okay, the connection between gun groups and far-right fascism is not a one-to-one. There are a lot of people... If you haven't noticed, I'm spending a lot of time trying to make moderate liberals feel stupid <laughs> because a lot of them don't know what they're talking about. They just... They're not in the cultures. They don't know anything about this. They kind of just go, guns are bad inherently. Sure. Guns are evil inherently. Everyone who has a gun is a dumbass redneck or a fascist or both. And that's just plain not true. You know, there's... Have you ever heard of the... Have you ever heard of the Pink Pistols, Andy? I have not heard of the Pink Pistols. Pink Pistols is an LGBTQ-oriented uh, gun gun group. And their, their politics are, at least on the surface, fairly inclusive, um, fairly left-leaning. I mean, they're not, they're not leftists by any stretch of the imagination. And they are very pro-Second Amendment in some ways that I do find problematic. Mm -hmm. um, but they're a fucking LGBTQ gun rights group. Black Socialists of America are a very pro-gun group. No one would argue that those are fascist. Um, and they're, you know, none of them are funneling people into the Proud Boys. But 
If you've ever been to a gun show, if you've ever seen the bumper sticker racks at one, you will comprehend how buying in deep enough to the rhetoric of one thing, gun culture, can lay the groundwork for the other. Sure. Because I cannot tell you, go, going to a gun show during the Obama administration was one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life. For reference, I do not like Barack Obama. I think Barack Obama did a lot of horrible things and should probably go on trial for war crimes in The Hague. I don't think it's cool to sell targets with Barack Obama's face on them Sure. that say, shoot socialism. I think there's, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, I don't know what part I should talk about first. <laughs> where do I begin with this? Yeah, yeah. And that's the situation I found myself in at a gun show during the Obama administration. I was there to buy a knife. I saw some shit. I bet. And, it, and I can completely believe seeing one thing on a rack and right next to it is the far-right fascist shit. Is the weird, double-speaky, you know, anti-government but pro-America kind of stuff that just funnels into that line of thinking. Sounds like you had a thing to say. Well, I was going to say, even more innocuous than drawing a comparison to fascist or terrorist paramilitary organizations or what have you, gun culture. Culture. Um, You know, there are many people who like stuff that make loud noises and go fast. My brother-in-law's into cars. Sure, exactly. And I, I think there is maybe not a direct overlap, but there is a similarity between I love this car, I love this motorcycle, to I love this gun. Um, and, and I wonder how much of that stems out of certain personality types. Um, not to make blanket statements, but I know... Uh, there's a, an old friend from high school who is a former um, vet. You know, he he served yeah, in he's Iraq. a vet. Um, and he's got numerous pictures on his Facebook of him, like, barbecuing with this insane giant rifle in his hands. Now, he's practicing proper gun control, but the, very much the statement is, like... I'm the guy who wears American flag swimsuits and has a gun bigger than my girlfriend. By the way, American flag swimsuits are a violation of the flag code. Um, just because I like to point that out every single time I see anyone wearing an American flag. Sure. I'm smarter than most of you. Um, <laughs> and and, and I, don't, I don't think this friend is a, a bad guy. You know, I've had one or two conversations with him since high school. He, he We were friends back in the day. He's always been a cool dude. But like... I feel like for him, at least, and for hundreds, if not thousands of other people in America and around the world, like part of it is just, holy shit, look at my gun. Look at look at the coolest toy I have. Exactly. And when an object is your identity, be it a car, be it a guitar, or be it a gun, that is problematic. Sure. Now, I mentioned a guitar is really hard to make dangerous. A car is not necessarily hard to make dangerous, especially if you're someone who likes to street race. Um, 
you and I both have friends who have had street racing experience. That is a thing. That is a very dangerous hobby. Um, it is there. And then there's guns. And again, I don't want to say that everyone who owns a gun is part of gun culture. You know, the NRA has a minority of gun owners in this country. I know people who have NRA, uh, who have um, NRA memberships strictly because that gives them access to the best gun ranges to go practice. Sure. And if you own a gun, you should practice with it. You should train with it. It's, it's a thing you should do because that's how you stay like sharp with it. The same way I practice on the guitar and try to multiple times a week. It's a skill. It's a thing you should learn. And I know people who, they pay their NRA dues. They, they get the magazine and they just throw it in the trash. They don't go to the events. They don't go to the meetups. Sure. They're just like, I just want to go to the fucking good gun range with the cheap ammo and the like nicer lanes. Like, that is a thing. And the, the fascist connection is something I don't want to ignore. I do have a more personal point on this. And this was something that Katie made a point to state up front. And it's personal for me, too. I mentioned to you that I like guns. I've gone shooting. I enjoy it. I consider it important politically. I do not own a gun. I do not own a gun for several reasons. Um, for one thing, my partner does not like them and is not comfortable with them in the house. And that is not a hill I would ever die on, honestly. Um, that's maybe the biggest. If it is not the biggest, this is the biggest. When it comes to suicide in this country, um, you know, in 2017, more people died by suicide than by car accident. And while overdose is actually the most common form of suicide, it is less lethal than guns, you know? An overdose is frequently accidental. And even if it's intentional, frequently a body can outright reject the means of a chemical overdose. You know, you throw it up, your body passes it through. Sometimes, you can overdose and your body will still actually pass the thing. Like, it's it's not the most common occurrence, but it can happen. But having access to a gun when you are a person with suicidal tendencies or suicidal ide ideation raises the likelihood of you succeeding in that suicide attempt exponentially. That is important to me, and I've shared this on the show before. I have had my own history with suicidal ideation. I have had a suicide attempt. I have had, prior to that suicide attempt, serious contemplations of suicide that I did not attempt. But when I did my suicide attempt, it involved a knife, mm -hmm. not a gun, because my parents did not keep a gun in the house. I did not have access to a gun. I didn't know where I could have gotten one. And I guarantee you, had I been a kid, I know kids who grow up with guns in the house and their parents instruct them. They say, the gun is here. The ammo is here in case you ever need it. Let right. me train you how to use it. Now, I survived my suicide attempt without even going to a hospital. I never left my house. I just cleaned up and like bandaged myself up and hid with bandanas on my wrists and went to school like that for a week. 
no one ever noticed. Or if they noticed, they didn't say anything. If I had had access to a gun, I would not be talking to you right now, Andy. That is almost certain. Yeah. So, that's not a subject we talk about. It is not. You know, there was a lot made of the Adam Lanza mass shooting because they were his mother's guns that she had legally. And, you know, there's there's an argument that like, okay, she she did the right thing as far as having as far as being a person with a clean record, passed a background check, exercised her civil liberties, had a gun. And then look what her son did. She could not have predicted that. Yeah. You cannot predict who in your household who has access to your firearms, what they will do to it. And the notion that with a culture that fetishizes gun ownership to the point where they say that background checks are too much, that home inspections are too much, that mandatory training is too much. I don't have a great solution. I don't. I can argue the a, a lot. The problem with a lot of restrictions around gun ownership is that they get applied unevenly. Sure. A rich person, a fucking Paul, well, Jake Paul, Jake Paul, fucking yep. Jake Paul. I guarantee you has enough money. That you can put whatever restrictions are on. He'll get around them. He'll pay his way out of them. Yeah, and and you know I mentioned he's been raided. They found just an ungodly amount of assault rifles, shotguns. And, and the, the fact that the FBI got involved was because none of them were obtained legally. He's in California, isn't he? Mm-hmm. California has decently strict gun regulations. And here's a person with influence and power and money who was able to get around those. Restrictions, legal restrictions, are never applied evenly. What you end up doing is taking guns out of the hands of frankly, marginalized communities. The earliest gun control laws in this country were put about because of the Black Panthers. Mm. Because fucking when Ronald Reagan was the governor of California and he was upset about Black Panthers riding around Oakland, brandishing firearms and quoting the Constitution at police officers who were roughing up Mm. members of their community. That was why Ronald Reagan as governor pushed the first major gun control laws in this country. Interesting. Reagan smash. Reagan sleepy. I realize that I'm talking about a problem and I don't have an immediate solution other than when you have a culture that makes these discussions not even possible, that makes it so hard to even have a talk about questions of suicide, of limiting ownership, of screening, We can't even have those conversations because there's people who are saying the Second Amendment says we can have as many guns as we want. By the way, the Second Amendment is stupid. The second I I am pro-gun. I am anti-Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is deeply stupid, deeply, deeply uncritically looked at from a grammatical standpoint. If you want to look at Supreme Court interpretations of the Second Amendment, dear God, that fucking comma is the bane of my existence. Ah! Point is... We can attack a culture, believe it or not. You can sit here and go, all right, we have a gun industry that has created so much force and so much 
so much of a push into general culture to legitimize a fringe culture that is keeping them swimming in money. A sense of American individualism. Americans love their guns. It's, the, it's one of the first things people think about when you go overseas. When you talk to people about America, they're basically just like hamburgers and pistols. Yep. And bacon. It's, and Taylor Swift. That's that's America. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, to most to most of the rest of the country, uh, or to most of the rest of the world, and we can at least attack the culture that makes it impossible to have these conversations. That allows for for firearm ownership to be such a lethal means of suicide, to be a means of violence, to be an unexamined. I'm right back to my same shit. I'm tired of unexamined parts of culture and existence. I'm also tired of fascists. I and, keep talking about fascists. Well, and, and he, well, yeah, I mean, you know, fascism is certainly a problem and we both hate it. Um, I, I think you're right. And I think I, I, I like that you bring up attacking the culture because I was sitting here getting to I was sitting here getting ready to be like, I mean, hey, let's just do what the Simpsons did and have everybody on Earth destroy their guns. <laughs> It took Kang and Kodos coming down to make that look like a bad idea. It's true. We are aliens. But what are you going to do about it? It's a two-party system. You have to vote for one of us. He's right. This is a two-party system. Um, but no, attacking the culture is actually, I think, an interesting like groundwork for what to do. And, and now's the time to do it when in every major city across the country, we have police officers dressed like armed forces and running around with riot shields and assault rifles and tanks. We finally got to those tanks that you never thought you would need to worry about. Yeah. Um, and the, the argument I've heard is, okay, say you got rid of every two handed gun in America. Even that you keep, you, you keep your Uzi's, you keep your Mac 16, you keep your pistol, you keep your Desert Eagle, but any two-handed gun, Russia and or China will invade us the next day. And to that I say, look around the geopolitical landscape in a world where America has the gun culture it has and tell me that we don't already have other non-american entities coming in and maybe not maybe not invading america like in call of duty modern warfare 2 but uh you know it, it's proved that russia tampered in the 2016 presidential election so i i don't know anymore dude it's always funny when people talk about invading america because it always seems to forget that invading america is a lot more time consuming and expensive than destroying America via the small series sure. of very flimsy social structures that we are careening on top of. It is not hard to destroy America, but you don't need a gun to do it. In fact, a gun is a stupid way to do it. A war is a stupid way to do it. We put a, And if COVID has shown how flimsy Jesus our economy alone has always been. Sure. Yeah. Good point, man. Yeah. So, if nothing else, it's not that everything is hopeless, but at the very least, if you encounter instances of idiotic gun culture, I argue the best thing you can do 
is educate yourself enough to be able to talk about guns in in at least a theoretical way that isn't fear-mongering and dumb. And then just don't let gun culture exist without criticism. Don't let this, don't let Charlton Heston get away with, it is my right to have as many guns in this house as I want to, without going, that's a stupid answer, Charlton Heston. Sure, you have the right to it. It's, it's in the Constitution and has been interpreted by the Supreme Court as such. And that was stupid, Charlton Heston. And your answer is stupid. Here's why. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, Charlton Heston's dead. So if anyone lives near his grave, just play this entire podcast segment. <laughs> like, just set up your phone on Spotify with repeat. You know, Charlton Heston can sit through the red wall explanation and our question a few times just to just to roll in his grave a little bit. And uh, if you do this, we will give you something. We will make you a T-shirt. Oh, yeah, we fucking will. Just for you. <laughs> and it'll say fuck Charlton Heston on it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, question time. Question time, because, you know, this is this was a heavy topic. And, and thank you for you know, bring it to the table and sharing your personal experiences. Yeah. This and thank you, Katie, for absolutely so much research and such good points. Absolutely. Thank you, Katie. Um, but, you know, this was kind of he- a heavy one. And our question is banana loopy bonkers. And I love it. Oh, God. Um, shall I read this or would you like to? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. Even though you, you, you found the question. Thank you. Did this come off of relationships.txt? It or? did. Okay, so this came to us from uh, the Twitterverse, relationships.txt. How do I even begin? Married for a year, husband has always had a soft spot for Taco Bell I don't understand. I think it's pretty garbage, even for a fast food chain. Long story short, one day I come home and there's a bunch of 90s Taco Bell memorabilia in the garage. Apparently, one of the local restaurants was getting a remodel, and I guess he bribed the manager to let him grab a booth and some other things. Now, we have separate bank accounts, so he did all this with his own money. He set it up in his office, which uh, he didn't think was a big deal because it's his space and I hardly go in there. He set it all up and asked me how I felt about it. I told him my honest feelings. I thought it was ugly and tacky and glorified a less than mediocre fast food chain. Not to mention it goes against the entire motif of the rest of our living spaces. I'm still just absolutely stunned and shocked that anyone, much less my husband, would think it's a good idea to set up a Taco Bell booth in our house. Suffice to say, he's upset. I feel like I have to point... I feel like I have a point because it's our house and I live here too. But he claims it's his money and he can do what he wants with it. Am I crazy or do I have the right to be upset at our house turning into a fast food franchise? And the first thing I got to ask you, Alex, is did the Taco Bell dog have a name? Um, I know it was voiced by Carlos Alizraki, um, who is also well known as the voice of Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, I love him then. Um, So if we're going to do anything, I would rather call him Rocco. I don't hate that. I I could see a Rocco's Modern Life episode where... Where Heifer decides he wants to set up a choky chicken booth in his house. Oh, God, absolutely. Okay, so we got Rocco and Heifer then. Okay. (laughs) We'll road trip. Hef, where'd you get the motorcycle? I saved my snack money for a whole week. I don't know, Hef. Listen, Rocco. 
This country's heart is fading away. Uh, I read, so you go ahead and go first. Okay. Um, this one is tricky, Rocco. Um, for for a couple of reasons. The one I want to start with is, you know, it is it is not that you don't have a point. You do have a point. Like, it's weird. This is a weird thing that Heifer is doing. It is strange. Um, the problem for me is that I don't... Th there's several things about your dynamics that I don't understand. For instance, you mentioned you have separate bank accounts. Awesome. We've talked about a few occasions where bank accounts separate or joined have been have factored into relationship questions. Um, you also say that it's quote unquote his space in the office, um, which you never go into. Presume I'm presuming it has a door, so it is kind of separated. I so in, in some ways I see Heifer's logic. I see where he would come from in like a well, I'm using my money, putting it in my space. There's no reason it should bother you. You know, it's not. It's it's my thing. It's my thing that I want to do. Um, that said, this is weird. <laughs> this is very weird. And you know what? He probably because it's a whole installation into your house. It, I I think that you do have a point that he should have consulted you on this. I get why you are upset for not being consulted. I get why he is upset for thinking that all of this was cool. Because it sounds like you guys have a dynamic where, generally speaking, as long as the bills are paid, you guys do what you want with your money and maybe your own spaces. Your question is if it's like... It, it, what was the exact phrasing? Is it, Am I crazy or do I have a right to be upset at our house turning into a fast food franchise? You are not crazy, but you are both, the both of you, approaching this from different angles and you are not trying to really see each other's perspectives. Your husband is weird as fuck. <laughs> I think you probably knew that going in. It would be problematic if I decided to take, like, like, okay, Stephanie and I have talked about our dream house before. And in our dream house, I have, like, a basement space that I've turned into a gym slash music practice area slash study. Now, if I decided to put a Taco Bell booth in my space like that with Stephanie, like, I would need to consult her on that because it would be our money. And I would argue if I had to change anything about our house, she has a right to be consulted on that. What the solution is here is a little more ambiguous because you guys have a different dynamic like that. I don't know. Andy, I'm going to be honest, this one might stump me because you both have a point. So the question is, where's the compromise? Where's the compromise where you feel like you have been either sufficiently consulted on this or he and you're sufficiently consulted and get to like have some say into what's inside of your house, but he also gets to still do what he chooses to within the boundaries you've set within your marriage. I don't know what the compromise is. Well, and I'll, I'll go ahead and step in here and maybe this will shake it loose. I, I actually do take a bit of a stance here. 
Um, while agreeing, Rocco, that Alex's points are valid and certainly uh, Heifer should have consulted you before doing this, um, it also sounds to me like Heifer knew that you would absolutely shoot down this idea. Mm, and, that's interesting. And if we take that conceit, I can very much see why your husband decided to use his money to buy something that made him happy to have adorned in his quote unquote space. You bring up a point about how it clashes with the entire motif of the rest of your house. And to that, I say, well, it's, that is the room designated for him to be able to do what he wants. I've seen in the modern uh, video game uh, e-gaming age, people spend probably a lot more money than Heifer did uh, by these insane, uh, you know, computer rigs with fancy chairs and stuff in the background. I've seen other people with uh, just insane amounts of money, turn their basement into the bridge from Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, sure. Like, um, I, I think very much so that you have every right to be upset with your husband, but your house isn't turning into a fast food franchise. One room in it is. And... He used his money. He, If he set this up in your bedroom, I would be uh, on the entirely different shoe here. And I would be saying, yeah, he's pretty damn weird. As it is, uh, he is a very passionate fan of Taco Bell, especially the old 90s nostalgic uh, Taco Bell appeal. Um, you know, you make your point about how it's a less than standard quality fast food chain. And I mean, that's... A subjective opinion. I don't think Taco Bell's great or anything, but I submit to you it's better than Del Taco. <laughs> <laughs> don't let Stephanie hear you say that. Um, you know what? I think I found my compromise. I think I found my compromise, Rocco. You tell me if this is abhorrent. It is a compromise, therefore neither of you will be fully happy, but I think it is the best thing to do. You need to let the Taco Bell stand go. You need to sit here and go, listen, within the terms of our marriage, within everything we have decided about our separate bank accounts and our spaces, you had every right to do what you did. You should have talked to me about it and you're owed an apology for that. But like, you let this go. You let him have this. But moving forward, the two of you, prior to doing anything else, need to renegotiate those terms moving forward. Because if this is a problem for you here, you now know how weird your husband is. Yeah. So if this is going to be an ongoing thing, if this is something he might ever do again, something in this vein, you need to have that conversation now. So he gets to have his Taco Bell stand now. He gets to be his weird little Taco Bell self. But from now on, y'all have a new agreement as regards his weirdness. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more concession here, Rocco. I, I completely agree with Alex's advice there. Um, if you want to give your husband a mild amount of shit for the rest of the time that the Taco Bell booth is up, 
feel free to do that as long as you're not like being totally mean or you know calling him uh, uh idiot man child in front of your friends or anything if, if you just want to give him a an appropriate amount of wifely shit that he set up a friggin taco bell booth in his office go right ahead i think he's a big boy and and he should be able to take it and he can revel in the knowledge that at least the taco bell booth is still open yep that sounds good to me yeah all right well, so this came to us from relationships.txt, where many of our questions do. And, I mean, when there is not so as this, I, I think it's fun, and I really enjoy talking to them. We also really enjoy getting your listener questions. So if you have a relationship question that you want to send to us and get our perfectly unqualified advice, I think we just showed here that we can we can play both sides. We can be, like bipartisan um you can send those into love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them absolutely you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify youtube or even tune in radio hey mom um thanks for letting me watch all those horror movies as a kid um you can also tweet us at lhr pod that's lhr pod with your questions or follow us to keep up with new episodes that's right. And uh, speaking of horror movies, I have another podcast called Cult Fiction with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. And by the time this episode comes out, I think one of our like last three movies was the Canadian horror movie Ginger Snaps, which we had a pretty good time watching. So if you want to listen to me and someone talk about movies, that is Cult Fiction and you can find it everywhere you can find love hate relationship if you want to find me andy bowell i am on twitter at jovocop2113 that's right and i'm at a underscore x underscore r-u-i-z on twitter instagram and tiktok thanks for listening y'all we love you so much uh stay safe out there and please as always tell your friends